the Cubs weekly podcast presented by WinTrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs checking open online today at wintrust.com slash Cubs weekly. As always, Elise Menneker here, Tony Andraki and Andy Martinez. Good to have the gang back together. Good to see you guys. Good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you. It's good to be back. It is good to be back and it, it would be good to see a Cubs win soon. I know that they're on a tough stretch right now, an eight game losing streak, but I tell you what, Wilson Contreras continues to just be Contreras really and have a great season, a couple of home runs in game one against the Padres. Or is that game two now? Have I even lost it was track? Game two. Yeah. No, yeah. Game two. <laughs> what day is it? Um, so he has one two. home run for each game of the series. So. <laughs> yeah, so maybe that's why I'm losing track yeah. too. Um, and so let's just say he's hitting well. And Kyle Hendricks, a great outing after he had him pitched for a bit after um, just taking a bit of a break, dealing with some shoulder stuff. So I'm sure for you guys, similar things have stuck out for you but Tony I'll just start with you and just kind of how you're feeling during this stretch yeah you know I think the fact that Contreras continues to play well uh is really interesting it's an intriguing storyline we all know what could be coming down the line over the next you know month or two is he is only signed through the end of this year uh barring an extension he will probably be traded uh in August I know Jed Hoyer has already talked about the possibility of, of, you know, that kind of happening if the team doesn't have a turnaround here and, you know, that eight game losing streak obviously makes that even tougher than, than it was before. But, you know, Contreras is having the best season of his career and he came into spring training very relaxed and sure of himself and, and he's going out there improving it. And I think that's really, you know, it's cool. It's interesting. He's in line, I think, to be the easy choice as the NL starter at catcher in the all-star game in about a month. So, you know, I, that's all fascinating. And then, yeah, I think, for the team, for Kyle Hendricks to come back and pitch well, even though the bullpen, you know, struggled after he came out of the game. I think that was a huge positive to know that Hendricks is a little bit back to what everybody was expecting him to be, what he expected, what the Cubs expected, and and what fans have been searching for for him for really the last two years. Yeah, and for me, you know, kind of it, it's kind of piggybacking off of that is Justin Steele. I mean, I thought he looked really, really good in game one in San Diego or against San Diego, excuse me. Uh, you know, I think it was what was most remarkable about the start, you know, normally when you see seven innings with one run ball against you Darvish, you know, you're going to say that the one one run ball or one run allowed keeping the, the, the team in the game was the most impressive thing. But what was most impressive is, I mean, there was a real possibility David Ross was going to have to turn to his bullpen in the second inning. You know, he took a comebacker from Jake Cronenworth uh, that he tried to catch with his hand. And, you know, he, he after he got the next uh, the next pitch was an out and then he was, you know, they had the trainers came out and we're looking at him like, Oh, like, you know, I'm sure we were all thinking the same thing. Like, right, oh, like, no, not yeah. Not like this was, right you know, now. that, that series in New York where you were burning through, through, through bullpen arms, you know, you're, you're thinking, Oh no, great. Here comes another, another game and where that's going to happen. And for him to fight back and, and go seven innings uh, was really remarkable. Um, I think you would have taken after that, that injury, you would have taken two innings, you know, uh, let alone seven. So, you know, that was really impressive to me. And, and it's been back-to-back solid starts from Justin Seale. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, that's one of the, you know, seeing these young pitching arms, we're going to see another one uh, Wednesday, Caleb Killian, you know, he's making his second uh, major league start, like, you know, seeing these young arms as they're coming up, Keegan Thompson, we've seen what he's done out of the pen. Uh, there's just, a, there's just, that's what I've, uh, I've been kind of keeping my mind, especially with, with Justin Seal. Yeah. And I think too, going off of that, like what Kyle Hendricks said after his start, 
um, just the pieces not coming together at once that you have moments where the starters shine and moments where the bullpen shine and moments where the bats shine. And now you just really need all of that to come together. We see time and time again, how they jump out to leads in the first inning and just can't hang on to them now as of late. So you just feel like, you know, um, they can, they're in these games for a stretch. I know sometimes we're getting away from them late, but, uh, they're in it, they're competing. Uh, I still love the energy and the fight that this team has, and you like to see the sparks, especially like from Contreras. I love even the dynamic of Contreras and Morel at the top and just what they bring, how they feed off of each other, uh, especially with guys like Hendricks, um, who's coming back after we talked about like a little bit of a break and then Steele too. I think really positive to see him push through that, knowing that his team needed him um, and just still pitched well. It wasn't just about being out there, but he pitched well. And I thought that that was really promising too. And so you're just hopeful that now moving forward, he should be okay after that. Um, but yeah, and you mentioned it that now um, we'll get another look at a, a top prospect, Andy and Caleb Killian and his first time out. I, I thought uh, we've talked about it before on the pod where he just looked like a ball player out there and his first outing against St. Louis, he had five innings, three hits, three earned runs, a couple of walks and six strikeouts. And Andy, I'll go to you first. I think really we're all probably thinking the same thing. He just had one bad inning. And when you're talking about a debut at Wrigley, I'll take one bad inning when, you know, there's probably a lot going through his mind and, and the emotions. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the circumstances around that game, right. You're playing the rival St. Louis Cardinals right, are, yeah. are no slouch. You know, that that's a pretty, pretty potent lineup, a Sunday night baseball, you know, just like everything going into it. it totally. It's not a, it's not, you know, the, the most uh, pitcher friendly environment to be pitching in uh, to make your major league debut. And, and that's one thing David Ross mentioned, you know, after the, the game, game two in, in San Diego, you know, the, the, there's no, there's no reason to put expectations or try to tinker anything with him. Like just let him go out there and pitch. And what he did last time was good enough. And and if he does that again, you know, the David Ross said, you know, it gives us a chance to win. And that's really all you can ask for from, from a rookie pitch, pitcher making his second start, you know, you're not trying to have him go out there and, and strike everyone out and go eight innings and, you know, you know, eight shutout innings or whatever. You're like, you're just wanting, wanting him to pitch how he has been pitching because what he's been doing so far has been obviously clearly very successful. And if he can continue to do that, you know, it's going to, it's going to sign me hitters. And then, you know, eventually after, you know, maybe like, you know, five, 10, whatever, how many starts you want to say, maybe then you start tinkering some things, but right now, you know, just let him go do his thing and, and, and let him, you know, let him pitch how he knows he can. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's interesting long-term for this team, right? Like we talked about the struggles of the rotation recently and Hendricks going two weeks in between starts and Wade Miley on the IL for the third time, Marcus Stroman on the IL for the second time. Now uh, Keegan Thompson, I think only got 11 outs over his last two starts you know, after being really the all-star of, of the staff for the first two months of the season. So to have that and, and to, to be able to have some of these positives of Hendricks coming back, pitching well, and then to see what Caleb Killing can be. I mean, there's clearly an opening in this staff, uh, in this rotation, to continue this forward. And we've seen what, what Christopher Morell has done when he's had the opportunity. So, you know, if Killing can come back, if maybe he is here to stay. Like, we don't know how it's going to play out. And, you know, we're talking before the, his second start here, but like, I think it's exciting and, it, and it's really interesting to see, you know, what he can do. Cause like you said, at least he did look like a ball player. And I was really impressed with, you know, after that, the struggles and losing command in the fourth inning, coming back out in the fifth inning and, yeah. and getting two yeah. of that double header and, and getting through, you know, a tough Cardinals lineup right there. So I think that showed a little bit what he's made of. And now after he had his, his journey um, you know, he had his debut, all of that. Like, I'm curious to see if there is an extended run, 
in the big league rotation and what that might look like. He had a couple of things to go off of what you guys were saying. One, Tony, to your point, um, and a good one, how we mentioned that one rough inning for him and how he came back after it and bounced back and Ross giving the opportunity to do that. And that's something that when I talked to pitching coach Ron Valone down in Iowa about something that sticks out about Killian is, is to summarize it in a word, it's like his maturity, the way he's able to make in-game adjustments and just how aware he is of himself and his own game. And that's really what sticks out to him about Killian is just, uh, that self-awareness. Um, and he says, really, if you were to draw up a, a right-handed pitcher, you're looking at Killian, like that's, that's how you would draw him up. So all the compliments from Ron Valone. And I think more than anything, when we hear from these pitchers and we hear it a lot from like a steel or a Thompson, like younger guys, how they want to make those in-game adjustments quicker. It feels like Killian is right on that path to where he's very capable and, and really already doing that. And I think to go off the emotion part too, Andy, that we were talking about, not just the game itself, but this is a guy where he knows like all, all eyes are on him. Everyone wants to see how he does. And there's pressure that comes with that. And pressure is like an honor. It's a good thing. These players want that. It means you're doing really well. Um, but I think too, just to see the way he managed it and came out and is able to calm himself. And I'm curious to see after a start and then actually going down to Iowa, probably working on some things, getting that taste, the hunger to want to go back up then too. And he probably wants to show like, Hey, you know, I can be here to stay. And he wants to show like how consistent he can be um, in a game and, and kind of take away um, us talking about like one inning, for instance, which is us, you know, for a debut, almost like nitpicking for, for what's anticipated to be like a, who's anticipated to be a star. Um, we kind of have talked about it a little bit, but for more on steel, just because we talk about the state of the rotation too, and just how much this team right now needs the arm, needs the depth. So Tony, just from what you've seen out of steel, the way he powered through his last outing after he mentioned he got hit by the pitch and just kind of had something on his finger. Um, just what sticks out to you when you watch him over these last couple outings? I think it's the efficiency because, and really that all starts with the fastball command. He's had fastball command and he, he's able to use it on both sides of the plate to up and down into both hitters, you know, righties and lefties. And we know that John Lester advice, how that helped him before that Sunday night baseball start on the last homestand. And that certainly helped, I think, for sure. But, you know, I, I think it is, he's just been so efficient. He only needed 77 pitches in seven innings, you know, a couple nights ago. Uh, he threw 60 of his 77 pitches for strikes. He only has four strikeouts over the past 14 innings, but I think it's just, he's getting a lot of weak contact. He's getting a lot of ground balls. He's pitching, you know, economically to get to that point. And for a guy who's only had one career start of seven innings to go back to back seven inning starts, like that's huge. And it's huge for all the other reasons we talked about for this rotation, the Cubs have needed a lift. And, you know, unfortunately the Cubs haven't won either of those games, but it's definitely not through any fault of Justin Steele and what he's done out there on the mound. So I think it's really impressive and, and really something that uh, will bear watching moving forward, because if he can really carve out and, and become a guy in this rotation that, you know, Hey, 2023, 2024 and beyond, he's a guy, he's a lefty in the rotation to break things up too, as well. Like that's huge. That's a big part of this team and, and moving forward. So what Justice Steele does over the next two and a half, three months is going to be very, very big for the future of this franchise. And I think, you know, last year we, we saw that outing against Pittsburgh where, you know, up to that point, we thought that was his best career start. Uh, you know, I think it was like seven innings or, or, and, you know, he was, he was very solid in that start. Um, I think we're seeing that version of Justin Steele in these last two starts, which is really, both well, really, really well for the Cubs. Uh, he's been 
he's been stellar. He's been, you know, kind of everything that we've expected. And you mentioned that the economic, like, you know, how economical he is with his pitches, Tony. And that's so true. You know, I was looking at some of his, his numbers, you know, the, the outing before the last two outings, he went five innings and he had six strikeouts. You know, when he's striking guys out, he's, you know, he's just as, he can be just as effective in terms of getting the outs, but he's using more bullets. He's using more of his stamina. He's, he's not getting in as deep. And in the situation the Cubs are in right now, where they're, I think it's 17 games in 17 days, you know, you're, you'll gladly take, you know, one, two, three strikeout games if he's going seven innings and it's, it's saving your bullpen another day. Uh, that, that's what's been really impressive about Justin Seale. You know, I, I think he did it a little bit last year. There were, there were innings, uh, maybe not complete outings, but there are innings where, okay, you know, he gets a runner on base. Like, let me just attack these hitters and try and induce a ground ball double play. Let me go after hitters and, and, and instead of maybe a seven, eight pitch at bat, you know, it's a two, three pitch at bat that uh, that comes out in a, in a fly ball or, or a ground out to short. You know, that's what that's what's been impressive about Justin Seal. And that's what, you know, we're kind of have been seeing the last two starts out of him. And I can't help just but think that he's kind of like in that groove, right? When we talk yeah. about these starts, um, I just keep thinking about how this season he was very deliberate um, in putting on weight before coming into the season because he feels that throughout the season he loses weight. So it, it just sounds like the way it kind of balances out over time. He just wanted to be at a certain place during the season. And I, I just bring that up because to me, everything he does is like very deliberate. So given what I just mentioned, it just feels like now he's probably kind of in this time where he's just kind of like, uh, I even mentioned with Kyle Hendricks there, you get in a groove during a season and Hendricks still feels like he's in some ways searching for that. Um, but you kind of feel like now with what we've seen out of steel that maybe he's finding that and that that's just part of it um as these guys you know we keep in mind like with the the shortened spring and just even going back a couple of years like what that's been like so as guys just kind of find that um i i definitely think like you guys were hitting on he has the tools i mean he, he's a lefty arm he could be a legitimate starter he is a legitimate starter and just as he continues to grow in that role i think there's a lot of upside and that's what all you know everyone sees in the organization with justin Steele. so i think it's just exciting when we see you know what he can do moving forward especially when you need it it's just that much sweeter to see we talk about needing the arms and that's kind of where eric stout has stepped in coming up from iowa local guy uh and andy i'm you know i know that you guys write all the stories and i talk about them usually on air but just i mean this is kind of like a writer's dream right like a guy who said even he had some workouts he's like i'm choosing wrigley i'm going there i'm not going to the royals camp like i'm going to do yeah. that and i think you just love to hear those things and you love to see someone like that um, make their debut at wrigley yeah, and David Ross mentioned, you know, uh, when they called Eric Stout up, there is something to, you know, getting to play for your, for your hometown team. You know, he mentioned well, uh, himself being from uh, from Tallahassee, you know, northern Florida, but the, the Braves are the team. And, you know, being able to, to, to be the, the uh, you know, the local team and put on their jersey is something special. And Eric Stout, yeah, you mentioned it, you know, when he was, uh, when he was in the pre-draft process, um, the Royals who ended up taking him in the draft uh, invited him to a pre-draft workout on the same day the Cubs had invited him to a pre-draft workout at Wrigley Field. And Stout's like, I, he called the Royals. He says, I have to go to Wrigley. Like, I, I, I need to go to Wrigley. And then he even mentioned, which is which was a little, like, I, I guess surprising to me. You know, he mentioned to him the call up to the Chicago Cubs was more, to him meant more than his call up to the big leagues for the first time. You know, you think about it, you work your whole life to be a big leaguer. And when you get that call, you know, that's got to be the greatest feeling in the world. And for him to say, you know, this one to the Cubs was, was better. It, it's pretty, pretty remarkable. It speaks to, you know, what he mentioned, you know, he had his, his uh, 91 year old grandma, 
who hardly has left the house the last two years because of because of COVID and everything going on. She was in attendance at Wrigley. He had friends and family. He called up his buddies from high school, said, you guys got to get bleacher tickets for tonight's game because because uh, I'm going to be pitching. And it was just a, it was just a heartwarming story. And to top it all off, he, he missed his tea time. You know, he was mentioning a bunch. There's a group That's of eight right. Iowa Cub players on Mondays. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, Mondays are off days and you go golfing uh, when you're in the minor leagues. And, and he called up the guys he's like, hey, guys, I'm missing my tea time. And he never misses a tea time. But uh, I think you'll make an exception when you get called up to the big leagues to miss a tea time. <laughs> Yeah, and it, you know, it's. I think it's cool to hear not only the stories; those stories are really cool. And I, I go back to like Tommy Nance last year, and you know, obviously Christopher Morrell, Brandon Hughes already this year, among others, Nelson Velasquez too. Like, they're they are really cool stories. But the that guys know that they are getting an opportunity with the Cubs right now, and and you heard Stout talk about it when he was called up before this series against the Padres, understanding and seeing what's going on when you're in triple a or even double a at times knowing what's going on at the big league level and knowing that there might be an opportunity and, and that's what it is the 2022 cubs are all about opportunity right now and eric stout has the opportunity to pitch for his hometown team to to carve out a role for himself as a left-handed reliever in the bullpen you know maybe even a multi-inning reliever as well because that's something that he can do and was doing very well at triple a so uh, i think it's cool to, to see guys recognize the opportunity and talk about it we heard adrian sampson last year talk about it like game of thrones kind of is you know there's a lot of positions up for grabs <laughs> and you know can stout be that guy i don't know i you know i don't but like it's a cool story and it's cool to see how these things play out because brandon hughes kind of looks like that guy and christopher morrell kind of looks like that guy and maybe caleb killian can be you know maybe stout can be like it's cool to see how this plays out so even though the record isn't where the cubs or, or fans want it to be some of these stories i think are, are really a nice kind of heartwarming part of the season yeah I'm like, that's that, exactly go ahead Andy I was gonna say really quickly and to that point you know that that's the thing too is like you know when when Christopher Morrell was called up we kind of thought okay it's gonna be short stint like you know yep. called up from double a he's gonna come back down he has not left Brandon Hughes was kind of it seemed kind of the similar thing you know they needed a lefty arm he's gonna be up for for a few days and and and, and cover some innings he I know he was optioned but he, he came right back up and he he really hasn't left you know there's not, there's not to say, you know, just cause the guy's called up, he's going to be here for, for his cup of coffee. Like it, some of these guys have proven, you know, you, you play well and, and the Cubs will keep you up and, and your cup of coffee turns into, you know, a, a little bit longer than, than just a, just a cup of coffee. Yeah. Or the goal is to make those decisions a lot harder, right? Like yeah. to just do the best you can to play well, like a Christopher Morrell, like just what he's doing. He's playing well enough to where you've got to put his bat, you've got to put him in the lineup. And that is exactly, you know, what you guys are hitting on. That's how I see the stout situation is as uh, even Ross was asked about it in New York during the Yankees series and just how guys are taking advantage of opportunities. And that's kind of like the point, like, can they take a hold of it and run with it? And that's, that's the fun part to watch. Um, and kind of then almost ignoring the environment and like the surroundings that can come with that. Like we've talked about with the Killian and, and kind of all eyes can be on you, but these guys are ready for the moment. They're hungry. They know the opportunity is out there. And so when they get it, you know, these opportunities don't come all the time. So when you have them, you got to take advantage. And I think that's the fun part to see these guys um, lay it all out there and to see how they can perform in these big situations, because while on the schedule, it may just be another game. It's a big deal for these players. And I think that's part of where that energy and excitement comes on this team when you see a new face and you want to see, well, how, who's this guy? Who, how could he play? You know, I heard about him in Iowa. What's he, what's he going to do up here now? Is he going to translate? And I think that's part of the storylines now that we watch and that make it interesting to see what, 
what games transfer at the big league level. And sometimes you don't get a lot of time to do that. But then when you have someone like a morale who game after game, you're like, wait, whoa, what another hit that, yeah. you know, it, it's fun to watch Ian Happ too has been a lot of fun to watch. He's had a great season, um, you know, definitely in that all-star conversation. And so Tony, um, just for you, what sticks out to you when you think about half this season is the bat is the defense. Is it both? I think it's, it's both, but it's really particularly with the bat, it's both sides of the plate. And I know yeah. you talked about it, at least on the broadcast last night or Tuesday night's game, you know, just how his swing has improved from the right side. And that was an area of weakness for him over the last couple of years, but really, it's also from both sides of the plate, it's the contact. He's making more contact. He's not chasing as much. He's not swinging and missing as much. And he's not striking out as much. And, and like, his power is still there. I mean, but this guy has just been so impressive. Since, like, August 1st of last year, 114 games, he has a walk percentage of about 12%, which is really good. Strikeout rate just under 25%. But he has a 281, 369, 519 slugging percentage. And he's been worth 3.7 war. That's not even like a oh, full wow. season. So he's yeah. he's like a near five war player since August 1st last year over the course of a full year. So, yeah, you know, defensively, he's obviously improved. But offensively, like he's locked down that number three spot in the order and looks the part, too. Like he's been very good. And uh, that power that we saw last year when he finally got to kind of get full-time playing time after the trade deadline, but he's carried it over this year and he's become a different hitter, a different player, but only to some extent, like he's just improved and, and really enjoying this breakout that I think we all knew was coming, but I didn't, I, I wasn't expecting it in this way. Right. Like I thought it might still be a, a, some swing and miss in his game and maybe even a little bit more power, but now he's turned into a lot more of a, a contact type bat with power still. So it's been a really intriguing transformation, I'd say. Yeah, and to that point, you know, I, I remember in, in spring training, Rick Sutcliffe on, on one of the spring training broadcasts, you know, really? he said he said Ian Happ's going to be an all star this yeah. game, this year, and you know, I, I was like, he's got like I was like I you know if he plays like he did in that second half, like for sure he's got he's got he's in the conversation, and you know, it, I was looking at the all star ballot. I think there's only like four or five guys who have a higher OPS than him that are on the ballot, and you know, some of the names are like Mookie Betts, Juan Soto, uh, guys who are you know elite uh, you know the elite of the elite and uh for him to to put himself in that category is remarkable you know he's been he's been stellar offensively and, and to your point Tony from the right side you know he's he's getting his walks he's he's taking the ball the other way um and from the left side you know there there was a net bat in uh game two against the Padres uh, at Wrigley where he smoked the ball and I was like wow like I I heard it like you you know when you hear it it was it was a ground out to, to second I believe but yeah. you know that's he what like he's doing fun. Oh, five, one ten in that. Yeah, range. it was like one ten off the bat. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I just, it was just it was one of those where you're like, whoa, like that was that was loud, um, and and that's what he's been doing. You know, when he's not getting his hits, he's still hitting the ball hard. And I remember there was a point earlier in the season, you know, where where he hit, he had another one of those like a hundred mile an hour off the bat that you know hit right into the shift. And you know, he mentioned he's like, I can't wait for the shift to be back. <laughs> uh, you know, because if it was, I think his his numbers would probably even be a little bit higher just just the way he's hitting the ball. Yeah, I think it's uh, just fun to see like everything come together. I think the defense helps the offense and the offense helps the defense. He gets consistency and that includes obviously at the plate and in the field, because I think um, especially at times where if he hadn't been performing as well as he has at the plate, his defense was shining. We were like, he's making all these great catches out in left field. Um, and I know that he's talked about like just getting um, to, to get to read the ball consistently out there, just playing one position over and over and just getting used to it, getting some 
settled in out there. And I think for me, that always helped. Like, so I know different players like Chris Bryant's totally opposite, right? He would talk about all the time, put me wherever you want. Um, so I think, you know, for half, it sounds like he likes that consistency out there. And then I, I agree impressive at the plate from both sides. You know, I actually, I didn't even go back as far as you did, Tony, but I was just looking at some of his numbers and his average and OBP on base percentage alone um, are the best right now, at least that they have been when you compare it to other years. Um, that right-handed average, I mean, that's at 354 right now compared to 243 um, lefties. So that's really nice to see. I mean, just how he's like turned things around on that side of the plate. So um, yeah, I think just um, like I said, to kind of intro the segment, he's just been fun to watch. And it's fun to see a player who's um, has a lot of potential and to see that coming out um, and the way it helps the team. Um, Cause you know, a lot of the times you need his bat in that lineup, you know, um, Contreras can't do it all. Uh, wisdom can't, you know, always hit a home run every time at the plate. And so when you see, I mean, we love it and it's fun, but uh, it does, we know it doesn't happen. And so um, when half can kind of step in there and just be that um, consistent presence, uh, it's just really great to see. So there has been another consistent presence in this lineup, and that is Christopher Morrell. So coming up after this commercial break, we actually talk to one of his former coaches who has had a very big impression on him and how he's performing in the big leagues. So you're not going to want to miss this. Stick around on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. At Wintrust, we know true fans show their team pride every chance they get. With Cubs checking, you'll score a Cubs debit card so you can show your support every time you pay. Open today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. $100 required to open. Member FDIC. Back here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, Tony Andraki, Andy Martinez, and Tony, I know that um, you and I in particular, we were uh, at, it was the White Sox series mm-hmm. when Christopher Morrell brought up 2019. It was a big year for him. And there was a coach in particular who had a big impact on him. So we're going to hear from him, but first, just give us a sense of what we're going to hear and, and why we talked to him. Yeah. So, you know, Paul McAnulty um, was the, the hitting coach at, at South Bend at class a, and he was a guy that Morell, like you said, he shouted out, but for multiple reasons, because he helped him with the two strike approach, just breathing but then getting into that more kind of like athletic stance and he crouches a lot more Morel does when he's at the plate with two strikes and he gets like more, you can see the focus like physically as to how he's really trying to shorten up his stroke. So, you know, is that, but, but I think, you know, he credits, he credits McAnulty with, with like the, being the guy that kind of helped turn things around. Cause we talked on last week's podcast, you know, it was 2018 Morel didn't walk in, in 93 player appearances in, in uh, class a ball. So, you know, but to do that, to, he didn't walk a ton in 2019, but he started developing this plate discipline approach as a 20-year-old in South Bend, you know, and this is kind of the reason why. And, and also, I think it was a cool perspective to hear, it was only two, three years ago, but what Morell was like as a 20-year-old, as a 19-year-old in South Bend. And, you know, a lot of the things I think that we've grown to, to know and love about Morell is that passion was there. And some of the things like, you know, he would look into the dugout and end up like smiling and stuff and laughing with two strikes and how how coaches helped relax him at the plate and harness some of that energy. So I thought it was a really cool conversation to get a bit more perspective on how Morell became this guy that we've seen in the majors. And so for more on that perspective, let's go to that interview and hear just more um, about that 2019 season. Morell obviously has done awesome up here the last couple of weeks, but um, when we were chatting with him just about his two strike approach and how he gets into all that he threw your name out and mentioned how you were a huge uh, proponent of, 
you know, calming down in the box and and really adjusting his two strike approach. Um, so I'm curious, like, what were your first impressions seeing Christopher Morel as a as a 20 year old in in a ball there? Fun to watch. You know what I mean? Uh, you talk about a kid that's got a lot of energy. Um, you know, he's one of those kids that you uh, you know try to help him contain himself. You know, he, he's got a he's one of those guys that's just naturally gifted and when he tries to do too much that's when he would get in trouble if that makes sense yeah it does and I mean was that part of your coaching and evaluation was trying to get him to kind of harness that and not do too much uh, it was more of long lines of just letting him trying to get him to trust himself you know, when, when you're when you're a young player, you tend to want to you want to honestly do good, then you want to try harder, and then next thing you know, you're 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 going outside of yourself. The whole thing with Chris, if you keep him inside of, if he can stay within himself, he's just an absolutely fun player to watch. How how did you see like it, with that two strike approach in specific? I mean, he mentioned. Specifically, with that you talked about breathing with him and making sure that he catches his breath, and we saw this really cool moment with Wilson Contreras. Uh, I don't know if you happen to see it, but you know, before Morel had his first walk off, he turned back and Wilson reminded him to take a deep breath, to calm down, to take it all in, and then Morel went back out there and took a look at a pitch that was real close, spit on one, and then ends up lifting a sack fly. But in talking to Morel, he mentioned that. The breath thing was something with you that you kind of brought up was, hey, catch your breath in the box, and it would help relax him and focus in, particularly with two strikes. Yes. That's something that, uh, you know, that was passed on to me that I, you know, that I learned and a lot of players do. And you look at all the people, they all understand the important that that's what helps slow the heart rate down. It helps you slow the game down, you know, you know, some people do a breath just to do a breath, but if you do it with intent, uh, like I gotta gather myself, you know, and it helps you be present in that moment instead of who cares if you got two strikes, you only need one. You know, kind of helps helps relax in that in that moment that moment in time to trust yourself. What what does it say about a guy like Morel too to to be coachable in that aspect? You know, as a twenty year old, and then take it forward i mean you know the the year before i know you worked with him he didn't have a walk over like a 93 plate appearances you know and and then he kind of develops this and and his plate discipline grows and he improves with two strikes and now a couple years later he's in the big leagues doing some of the things that you know you guys worked with like what does it say about a guy like that to to take some of these coaching lessons and then apply them so quickly over the course of his career as a young player well it just shows you there's aptitude there you know, that he, he has the ability to to learn something. You know, everything a coach says is always right. You know, it's about picking up pieces here and there from everybody and kind of, you know, determining what works for him, what works for me, you know, and, and them turning it into their, into their own ordeal, you know, and that's what it's about. You know, Chris found something that worked for him and, you know, he's he's able to do it consistently and be consistent out on the field. You know, I, there was, I didn't do anything with the kid. You know, I was just there to, to help him. You 
know, obviously, you know, through experience and what I've learned throughout the course of years, and um, man, and he he took what he felt he needed and made it his own. And now he's that's fun. I, I did see that moment, you know, when he hit that home run. When I and I when I saw Wilson Contreras doing that, man, I, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, here we go. <laughs> um, you know, but you know, Morell's one of those guys too, man. He would. Get to two strikes. I'd look. At, he'd look in the dugout, and I'd look at him, and I'd remind him to breathe, and then I'd smile at him. You know, <laughs> laugh at him, and he then all of a sudden he'd relax. When he's relaxed, it is so, it is so fun to watch. I mean, that guy plays with more energy than anybody I've ever seen. I'm a big fan, so um, you know. Now I'm just watching from afar. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the energy and, you know, that joy and, and passion has been so evident in his first few weeks in the big leagues here. And uh, I know it's that's obviously been his reputation coming up through the Cubs system. But what was it like being around a guy like that, you know, that had that, that joy, that passion, that energy for, you know, the course of a full season? It's infectious. It's one of the guys that, you know, it's a true pleasure to be around, watch, watch him work. You know, he, he works harder than anybody that I've ever seen, you know, and, and all that hard work is paying off for him. You know, and, and he's the one who's, he's the one who did it. He's the one who went through it. You know, he's the one, and now he's getting rewarded for it. So, um, you know, it's, 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 like I said, it's, it's, it's great to see. What, what do you think sets him apart? You know, obviously you've, you've coached a lot of young players and, you know, the, the talent is there for Morrell, but what, what kind of sets him apart as a player to make that jump from double-A to the big leagues that we just saw and, you know, have success right away and set a new Cubs franchise record for, you know, 22 games on base to start his career? Like, you know, what sets him apart, I guess, from maybe some of the other players that are, are have maybe a similar talent level or – uh, have are going through a ball that you've coached confidence and trust you know he has he, he has the confidence to you know go up there and compete he has the trust in what he's done you know i haven't talked to morell in a while but you know just just my my thoughts is that he, he trusts himself he, he believes in himself you know and that's the number one overall factor man he's, he's able to concentrate you know, in that, in those moments. And that's, it's hard to do and not everybody can do it, you know, and, um, for him to be doing it at a high level goes to show us how much, how much work he has put into, to that side of the game, the mental side of the game. Yeah. And you, you mentioned being able to watch him from afar and seeing what he's done. Um, how close, I guess, do you kind of keep, keep tabs on a guy like him, you know, and seeing what he's done from afar? Well, I honestly, I keep tabs on everybody, but I do not bother them. I let them be there. That's that's their career. You know, I'll text them congratulations, you know, proud of them. But other than that, I do not bother these guys. They are going, you know, if they need something, they know they can call. But at the same, you know what? They're growing men. They're doing their thing. They're going on their journey. I, I stay out of it. What kind of does it instill like you know a sense of pride or like what kind of emotions does it stir up with you to to see him up there and then you know I, no, another guy you coach Nelson Velasquez you know and I know Morel and Velasquez are very close but 
they played up together here in Chicago for a couple of days. But just being able to see these guys and know a few years ago they were at A-ball and to see their journey, like what kind of emotions does that stir within you? Pure happiness, man. I'm happy for them because I know what they were going through at that moment when they were there in 2019 and 2020, you know, 2021. You know, I, I knew, I know everything, I, you know, I was – most importantly, they knew that I had their back, you know, and, uh, but man, but they're the ones who did it. They're the ones who go through the grind. They're the ones who go through the struggle. They're the ones who, they, they're the ones, they get credit for everything, their success, you know, like my whole ordeal was trying to get them to trust themselves and, and being able to put in the work and, and, and trust it over a long period of time instead of trying to change things all the time. But man, I'm, I was ecstatic. Me personally, when I saw Nelson, you know, when I saw, uh, you know, Christopher, when I saw Brandon Hughes up there this year, you know, it, it's, it, it makes my heart happy, man, because those guys truly, truly worked to get there and, and they deserved it. Cool. Well, yeah, thank you so much, Paul. I really appreciate the time and, and your perspective here. Yeah, man, no problem, man. Those kids deserve it. You know, I been with them and I'm, I'm happy as I'll get out for them and I hope they're they're up there for you know 15 years really great perspective um from coach McAnulty and Andy I'll start with you and just kind of your impressions when you're able to get that glimpse um at Morrell from a couple of years ago from one of his coaches yeah it's one of the the fascinating things right we we Tony touched on it a little bit but we don't think of the we see what the quote-unquote finished product is up here in the major leagues but we don't necessarily see what these guys are at, at class A, at low A, at double A, you know, when they're really going through the grind and, and to kind of get that glimpse was really, really cool. Uh, and, and just to see, you know, some of, as Tony mentioned again, you know, the, 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 the seedlings of what he would become in that, that moment. Uh, and, and the breathing thing is, is very crucial. You know, we, we, we saw it with Wilson Contreras, you know, that, that walk-off uh, hit, you know, where he tells them, you know, breathe, breathe, breathe. And we've, we've seen the awesome video where, you know, you can see Christopher Merrill taking a deep breath in and, and getting, getting ready for the at-bat. You know, those are just the, 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 the little things that, you know, sometimes, you know, you think about, okay, what's his bat speed look like? What's he doing, you know, in a two-strike approach? Or, you know, how's, he, how's his stance? Like, you think about those things, but those little things are just as important. You know, what's he doing when he's, when he's you know, what's, what's his breathing mechanism like? What's his, what's his setup like? What's his, what's his approach? What's he thinking when he's, when he's setting a, a pitcher? You know, all those things are important, and all those really start, you know, at Class A, at Double A, Triple A, et cetera, et cetera, until they reach the majors. Yeah, and I, I thought the most fascinating part, Andy, like you touched on with breathing was, you know, chatting with Paul was, he, he watched that Christopher Morrell, Wilson Contreras moment and saw like Wilson help calm him down. And McAnulty was like, oh, here we go. You know, and so he like, <laughs> knew what was what was going to happen because he knew once Morrell like relaxed that he was going to be able to get the job done and hits the sack fly and, you know, walks off the game and stuff. So I, I think it's cool definitely to, to just hear these coaches and the, the people that helped Morrell get to this point. Um, but also, obviously, credit all goes to Morell, which McAnulty kept saying, you know, is, is like credit goes to this kid. He worked hard. He did everything that 
he was supposed to do to get to this point. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a really cool chat and, and interesting to know that he was still the same guy at 1920 that he is at 22. And yeah. 20. When I heard actually that you were talking to him, I was excited because we keep hearing about him from morale. And so I thought it was great that you just kind of were able to reach out to him and get that and just see what it was like and why he brought up the breathing to him and why he brought up the two strike approach. And what stuck out to me about that was how he mentioned he's like an emotional player. And we see that from him. But the first thing that I thought of then was interesting because that's how we always describe Contreras. And these yeah. two we know kind of just work very well together. And so to kind of find some tactics to help uh, morale work through the emotions during a game. And I think, you know, every guy out on the field is doing the breathing that morale is doing in some way, shape or form pitchers. We see them all the time doing it at the plate. You kind of see, I, I feel like with morale because of how much he like does it and how big it is. Um, I feel like that's why we take more notice. Yeah. Uh, I really appreciate that. He doesn't like hide it or anything. And I even noticed in game two against the Padres, Wilson had a moment then where he yeah. kind of was just more deliberate mm -hmm. about it. You just saw it. And so I think that's just part of morale being morale that he's just going to kind of lay it out there. Here's who he is and, you know, take it or leave it. And that's the fun part about his game. But that's kind of what stuck out to me about the conversation because it seems like, yeah, of course, <laughs> of course you need to do these things like during a game, but just to, to see it on full display for a younger player. And I think then to see him have success in those big moments, you start to see just how important doing the little yeah. things like that are. So yeah, I thought that was great, Tony. So it was a nice, fun perspective um, to get there. So we hope you liked our perspectives on the pod today, because that's going to do it for this edition of the Cubs Movie Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube. For Tony and Drackey and Andy Martinez, I'm Elise Meneker. Thank you guys so much for watching.